Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. We've got a really interesting show. I have a guest, Michelle Molitor, and she's the founder and CEO of Nectar Consulting, and she's the co-author of one of the best-selling books, Breakthrough Healing. Michelle works with executives and entrepreneurs, bringing over 30 years of experience, intuitive insights, and strategic business savvy to people's success. Michelle's unique rapid rewiring approach is an innovative and integrative healing approach that expertly combines scientific, spiritual, and energetic principles for mind, heart, and soul level transformation. Her clients have dubbed her the mind detective because she is an expert at helping high achieving professionals remove the blocks that can be created by imposter syndrome, anxiety, overwhelm, and burnout. She assists her clients to achieve greater confidence and self-worth so they can be more productive and more satisfied in their careers and in their personal lives. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here with you, Lee. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I have to tell you, when I saw the words rapid rewiring, I got all excited because at the Brain Performance Center, we talk about how that brain's wiring and firing all day long. Talk yes. to me about rapid rewiring. Sure. So I have been a professional coach now for, gosh, almost 23 years. And um, along my pathway, I've uh, been a learning junkie, always learning new and different ways to help us improve our well-being and our clarity and our confidence. And I discovered... Um, this unique uh, modality called Rapid Transformational Therapy, or RTT, um, about seven years ago now. And um, it quickly created some massive uh, healing for me because it allowed me to get at the subconscious blocks um, that were holding me back, despite all my efforts to get at them, right? And so I went on to get trained and certified um, using this unique form of hypnotherapy and have incorporated it into my work as a coach. So I uh, I bring this cadre of, of modalities, coaching and hypnotherapy, somatic therapy, uh, CBT, NLP, so much more um, into my work. And so um, I just call it rapid rewiring because we're, as you know, we're helping people retrain their brains and build new neural pathways for greater success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of sad that by the time our brain is fully formed in our mid to late 20s, those neural pathways, they're laid down. And when we quit using them, we lose them. So there certainly is opportunity for change to reopen those neural pathways. And it, I think it all starts, well, with the Brain Performance Center, it starts with creating neuroplasticity in the brain. And that's yes. the brain's ability to change. And a lot of times, that gets stuck in our own personal beliefs that we can't change. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, those beliefs, those ideas we hold about ourselves are often laid down when we're, when we're young, um, when we're doing our best to um, live uh, and, and grow up in the world, regardless of our 
family of origin, right? The the environment that we grow up in is like the water we swim in and our brains just absorb it. And if that water is dirty or negative, then we start to make up beliefs about ourselves, right? And that becomes those um, neural pathways that get laid down at an early age and then just, you know, guide us how to move through life to stay safe, right? Based on our amygdala. Um, I like to call her Amy. Amy's our amygdala, just trying to keep us safe, that fight, flight, or freeze mechanism in our brain. And if Amy's decided that something is dangerous, she will do everything in her power to have you avoid it, right? So as adults, we have all these blinders of fear that we've developed over time. And so my work is really about helping people identify the root causes of those limiting beliefs held in their subconscious mind from that early onset programming, and then rewire them, change them, and then lay down new neural pathways um, that, you know, where you're telling yourself, I am enough, I do believe in myself, I can do this, um, and so much more. It's, it's a beautiful thing to witness people as they shift their mindset about themselves and they start experiencing more joy in their life. I agree with you. Nothing is a better feeling. And we we both, we come at it with different modalities, but nothing is better than when you see somebody that hasn't been able to just engage in their life, start to engage and be able to really enjoy life and, and want to participate. Nothing's worse than, you know, when you're so fatigued, you can't get out of bed and go to work or make breakfast for your kids, or just do the things that are so, so important to you. And I really appreciate your mention of the subconscious, because it's amazing to me. And true fact, every second, our brain is capable of taking in 11 billion bits of data. Research says that somewhere between 40 and 126 can go in at the conscious level. Personally, I think it's 40, but it doesn't matter. We don't have to do the math. Where does it all go? It goes to that subconscious level. And where you use hypnotherapy is where I use neurofeedback and where you use coaching, I use counseling, but it's all, it all does the same thing. It's, it's able to touch that subconscious and that's where trauma lives. And that's where that good old self-doubt lives. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, we it'll it'll come up to our conscious level and it's, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to think about that right now. And we'll smack it down. But guess what? It comes right back. Mm-hmm. Amy's very persistent. <laughs> she is. You know, and Amy's such a sweet name, but but she's not necessarily such a nice girl. No, she's not so nice all the time, right? No, don't do that. No, you're wrong. Who are you to think you can get away with that? What? Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's a she's kind of a drama queen. Well, and, she's uh, and she's the queen of self-defeating thoughts. Yes. Yes, indeed. And um she can uh stop us in our tracks and keep us from achieving our dreams. Um, and keep sitting on the edge of our comfort zone, but afraid to, you know, go any further into the uh, waters of that pool. It's not safe. Don't go there. You might get eaten. (laughs) It's a big shark. 
Well, you know, what I hear so much at the Brain Performance Center is self-doubt. And whether they're anxious or depressed, they have ADHD, they have a combination of all three. You know, there is so much self-doubt. And you've done some work, I believe, to help people have a better understanding about how to tame their self-doubt. Yes, absolutely. So I I actually got, um, in my former career, Lee, I was a creative director in web development, and I got bullied out of my highfalutin fancy job um, by two guys that I hired. And they made it abundantly clear that I like working for a woman. And they made it really, really uncomfortable for me. And it ultimately led to me getting let go. And it was such a crushing experience for me, literally. It created this massive case of imposter syndrome. And I was filled with self-doubt, so much so that I was petrified to hand my resume to anybody um, and ultimately ended up pivoting careers because I, I discovered coaching in that process. And it's what helped me realize, oh, this is actually the the work that my spirit is meant to be doing. So I'm a... I'm a big um, brain nerd when it comes to imposter syndrome and self-doubt and, and what do we need to do to overcome that? Um, and, and what are some of the tools and things that we can do to find new ways to see ourselves, to let go of that voice of doubt that says, oh, I'm a fraud or um, others are better than I am or it's not perfect yet. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. All of those limiting beliefs that Amy is whispering in our ears. And um, I realized in the process that there are actually five self-doubt archetypes because um, self-doubt can look different ways at different times, right? So we have the, the fearful follower, the anxious avoider, the reluctant re- resistor, the procrastinating perfectionist and a shapeshifter, and each of these versions of self-doubt um, will will show up depending on the type of history that you have in your back pocket, right? Where you came from, the things that you learned, and how your brain was shaped and molded by those experiences. So, when you can understand how self-doubt is holding you back and impacting you, that's the first step in reclaiming your power and changing your mind about yourself and how you can move more powerfully through your own life and, and career. You know, and I always find people are so welcoming to hear because when I'll say, yeah, it's a dysregulated brain. There's four things that puts a brain in a dysregulated state. One is genetics. Two is physical head trauma. Anytime you hit your head, you change the way neurons and dendrites are wiring and firing. The third is emotional trauma, which I don't wish on anybody. But if you're living life, you're going to have some. And then the fourth is stress. And stress is just part of our new norm, I think. I don't know anybody that never experiences stress. And if they tell me they don't, I tell them, I don't believe you. It's a crazy world we live in. Yes, it is. It is. Um, it's it's uh, disheartening at times, right, to see 
you know, every single day there's another mass shooting, right? There's a lot of terrible things happening out there in the world. And it can be very overwhelming and it can cause a lot of anxiety and stress. Um, I know myself, I'm a highly sensitive person in HSP, which means I have a very strong set of um, of neurons in my brain and my reticular activating system that pick up on the emotions and the energy of other people, right? And it's been said about 20% of the population are HSPs, right? So just for me, right, over the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything, I feel that collective angst, right? Um, and it it can be overwhelming. I'm lucky to have tools, right, to know how to manage that for myself, but not everyone does, which is why I've I've created the programs that I have and the the and the online membership um, called How to Become Unshakable, because it gives folks a set of tools that they can have in their back pocket to to help them overcome their self-doubt and calm their nervous system in a way that's impacted by just, you know, the everyday stresses of life. Well, going back to those those five different self-doubt profiles, what do you feel is most prevalent in today or is there one that is more, most prevalent in today's day and age or are we just also individual and different that or you know does it depend on where you came from what baggage you have brought with you um you know i i have a self-doubt um quiz right that folks can take for free and it can identify their number one self-doubt um the one that runs them the most, so to speak. Um, but just like with the love languages, right? We typically have one or two that is our most predominant one. Um, I find it's similar with the self-doubt archetypes. Uh, people say, oh, I'm definitely the procrastinating perfectionist, but the, the reluctant resistor really resonated with me as well, right? So there's, there's usually more than one that um, is driving someone's underlying and unconscious behaviors. Well, I think, you know, giving people the opportunity to just self-reflect and ask themselves those questions is the first step in understanding where they really are. I mean, yeah. when, we, when we all, so many times people say, well, if you can just tell me the answer to this question, and my response will be, I think you know the answer mm -hmm. to the question. I can help you process it, but I really think you know it already. And the look on their face is almost like in disbelief. And then we start processing and sure enough, they do know the answer to their question. Yeah. It's all about being able to tune in to yourself and quiet your mind because we live in such a a hyper-connected world, right? We've got so many billions of bits coming at us every second, as you mentioned earlier, right? Um, and especially for, you know, Gen Z and millennials, they've grown up in this world. So our brains are constantly switching, 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 switching. And in that constant looking outside for answers, um, we forget 
or a lot of people don't realize that we do inherently have those answers within us. And it just takes getting quiet, calming your mind, quieting your mind, reconnecting with your, your sense of self, your spirit, um, your higher self, whatever you choose to call it, right? But allowing that intuition to be able to come through and allow your gut to guide you because, you know, um, our gut is our emotional brain, right? We don't often have words for the emotions that we're feeling. And so when we can quiet our mind, then we can tune into, well, where's my gut pointing me? What direction am I supposed to go? Well, and I think our gut is our second brain. I mean, our gut's responsible for all the neurotransmitters that it that produce and that come to the brain. And I think so many times, you know, gut health is, is almost the same thing as brain health. If I got, totally agree. Got all that inflammation going that you're going to you're going to feel it in your thoughts and your beliefs just as much as you feel it in your gut. You're absolutely right. I, I've worked with many people who have had um, issues with chronic IBS, for example, which is a, you know, a infl a, an inflamed gut problem. Um, and when they're able to quiet their mind and change their thoughts, uh, change the story they're telling themselves, their IBS has literally turned off, gone away. It's, it's amazing. To watch. It truly is. I, I follow Eric Pepper. I like I like his work. He's big in biofeedback, which is part of the the programs that we offer. But I posted a post I saw from him yesterday, and it was about how uh, someone had a bad eye, and that by using compassion, that bad eye turned to a good eye, and that mm -hmm. just. I mean, I thought this is definitely worth sharing on, on social media because as I was reading the story, I'm like, yeah, I can see. I can I can absolutely know what we do to ourselves. And I used to do it. I used to have the worst case of the shoulds. Lee, <laughs> you should do that. And then when I didn't, they'd bring out their little friends, shame and blame. Well, shame on you, Lee. It's all your fault. And I saw what that was doing to me. And I said, you guys got to go. I replace the shoulds with the coulds. And we can all, once we recognize what's bringing us down, we can all grab hold of it and change it. Yep, absolutely. It's noticing it is the first step, right? Um, folks that, you know, I've worked with, they often know, like there's this thing in their way that's causing them stress, anxiety, worry, fear, sleepless nights, but they don't, they don't know how to get to it. They don't know how to put their finger on it. Um, and, and those are folks that actually do really well with rapid rewiring because they're, there's like, I know there's this thing I call the unscratchable itch, right? I got this place and I, I, I go to scratch it, but then it, like it moves, right? And it's constantly eluding us. And it's super frustrating, um, but it's even more frustrating when someone's just really, really unhappy and they don't know why. I was talking with a client just the other day and she's like, I have this, I've had this overwhelming sense of sadness over the last 
few days. I'm like, well, what do you think that's about? She's like, I don't know. Like, okay, well, let's just explore that a little bit. And, you know, what's going on? And we did some coaching around it. And she was able to identify like, oh, I'm really missing a deeper connection with my husband. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to get it back. I was like, yeah, it's, it's no wonder that you're feeling the sadness. They had just come back from, from a holiday. And so, you know, there's tangible assignments that, uh, you know, we give to people, right, Lee, that has them do that self-reflection to look a little deeper and to tune into their emotions. Um, but I found that given all of the stress, all of the anxiety that we see around us every single day, um, it's created because even though we are hyper-connected, there's a lack of connection. There's a lack of heart-to-heart connection, which has people feel not seen, not heard, not connected with each other. And that's what also adds to that level of stress, that anxiety, that depression, that a lot of folks have been dealing with, especially since the pandemic. What have you seen? Oh, I've seen it. It's so interesting to me because with the neurofeedback work that we do and, you know, creating change in the neurological pathways, before the pandemic, people would come and they would do their sessions. And it was very rare that I would hear from them again. And if I did, it was because there'd been a, you know, something, they were in a car accident, they hit their head, there'd been a change in the family dynamics, emotional trauma, there'd been some stress. And since the pandemic, People need, absolutely, they need maintenance programs where Mm -hmm. the level of uncertainty has reached such an epidemic that, I mean, we don't know, you know, you mentioned shootings earlier, and I spent about 20 minutes on a guy's radio show this morning talking about that and the impact that it has, not just on the families of the people that, you know, that have been shot but on everybody it's Mm -hmm. it's a societal ptsd around it and then we hear that a bank is going under and and then there's the ukraine and the russia wars there's just so much uncertainty and i just can't wait till 2024 when we have our next election oh lord of mercy (laughs) i know i I mean personally coming out of the previous election cycle it, I didn't realize how stressful it was all of the time, hearing the constant things on the news, right? And it's, it's like, oh, I'm going to have to, like, I, I can only watch about 15 minutes of the news a day. That's, a, that's about all I need, because otherwise it really impacts my nervous system. Well, I think it does everybody's, and I think that, You know, we didn't, 10 years ago, we didn't have it coming at us 24-7. And five Mm -hmm. years ago, maybe we did, but we weren't so inclined to listen to it. And then the pandemic occurred, and we felt like we had to stay on top of things. We had to know the latest and the greatest. And it's, the pandemic has changed our lives, and it's changed uh, globally. That's just not here in the States. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. It's, it's been really fascinating um, to, to watch how 
how more connected we've become, but how much more disconnection or division there is, um, which is really, really um, disheartening to me. I here I thought we were going in a in a positive direction, and now it feels like we've taken <coughs> fifty steps backwards. Well, and it does feel like we have. And in all honesty, we have taken some steps backward. And we were forced to socially isolate in the pandemic. It changed the way that we went to school. It And I have so much empathy in my heart for those kids that had to do online learning. I've just completed a PhD program online. And that was my choice, but certainly wasn't theirs. But it was so different and it was so hard. And and we lost our sense of community. And I think mm-hmm. that that social connection, my biggest fear during pandemic was loneliness, because I honestly believe loneliness will kill you. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, one of, well, I, I'll say my, <coughs> my mission, my work is really about helping um, people create greater acceptance belonging and connection um having having grown up in a in a lovely family but feeling very alone in my own family i've realized that those are the core drivers for the work that i do in the world and helping people connect to themselves first and foremost so that then they can connect more effectively with others, but it starts with having a sense of acceptance and love for yourself before you can be open-hearted enough to create um, genuine connections with other people as well. Oh, absolutely. And so many of the people that come in and are depressed, it's something that's happened situational, but they can't accept it. And so they can't accept that what happened is what created a change in their behavior. They just Mm -hmm. blame it on themselves. And there's so many different ways that we can look at it. You know, a lot of people like to journal. A lot of people like to just use gratitude and thankfulness as a way to kind of reconnect with themselves. But we we have to do it. And if I I can't tell you how many times I said, if you can't connect to yourself, how are you going to connect to your family? Or your coworkers. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm uh, getting ready to go um, tomorrow, actually, to go on a a family a, a family adventure. So, um, oh, that yeah, sounds that, that sounds that connection will be really interesting to see how it plays out with yeah. the whole fam family there. <laughs> we might we're gonna have to take a break pretty quick, but that might be a story that we might have to hear more about after break. And I think there's probably a, a universal lesson that comes from that connection that everybody could share with. Absolutely. So stay with us, folks. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. We'll be back after these messages. It's words you never heard. Did you 
hear the one about the man who drove his van into a lake because he was following GPS instructions? The minivan driver apparently ignored a series of road signs while following his GPS, which directed him to an abandoned road which led right into a lake. What's a word for a person who obeys without question? A myrmidon. His vehicle was almost entirely underwater by the time emergency services arrived on the scene. Police said the driver took a road that was closed a year ago when the area was flooded to make an artificial lake to serve as a reservoir. He ignored three road signs warning of a dead end. It was dark outside and simply didn't see the water. Sounds like a bit of a rinkaboo to me. That's a news story that may be bending the truth a little. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Well, thanks for staying with us. Before break, we were talking about how important social connection is. And, you know, I thought back to the pandemic when a lot of us couldn't go to church and or any place of worship and how that impacted so many people socially. So it's it's it exists on a bigger level than just between you and your family or, or you and your friends. Talk to us about social connectivity. Well, it's it's such a fundamental thing. You know, we are hardwired to be in community, right? Um, it's it's part of our survival mechanism in our limbic brain. Um, if you were, you know, as, as cave people living out out in the elements, if we didn't have people around us, you most likely get eaten by a, a saber tooth tiger, right? So, having people in our community. Is, is super important. And the pandemic shut all that down in a large part. And, and so now that we're coming back out of that and we're able to, you know, some people, a lot of people have gone back to working in their offices, for example, um, we're able to move about the country, about the world much more freely to connect with family and friends, et cetera. And having, having those connections is is vital to our, our well-being um, because we we want to connect. We want to look at people and feel what's going on for them, um, good, bad, or ugly, because it's just part of who we are naturally. And when we, we can't do that, um, it creates a, a void. And then we start to fill that void with other things, right, to soothe that part of us, which can turn into any host of bad habits or even addictions, right? From one end of the spectrum to the other. Absolutely. And I think that's when we get shakeable. And you talk about how do we become unshakable? Yes. So becoming unshakable is about finding your resilience, finding that place within yourself that knows that you are enough, that you are whole and complete, imperfectly uh, imperfect, just the way you are and just the way you aren't. And and so in my in my membership, there's a whole program specific to becoming unshakable that helps you identify 
your self-doubt archetypes, where those feelings of lack are rooted, and how do you find your way back to standing in your sense of value and self-worth so you can ask for what you need, get paid what you're worth, and and share your gifts more fully in the world. But it also includes that community. We have um, group coaching sessions, we have guided meditations, and a whole library of master class um, with expert uh, teachers from around the country. Um, I have some amazing friends who, who shared all sorts of things on, you know, dealing with uh, negotiating, right, making decisions and body language and goal setting and a lot of other things um, so that people can find their voice and and stand tall and proud in it without apology. Like, this is who I am and this is what I have to share, right? And and just owning that because I think in today's world, especially with, with social media, there's so much comparison going on. Well, I'm not as good as so-and-so. I don't have as many likes or as many followers. And it's not about that. It's just about being your natural, authentic self and and sharing the natural wisdom that everyone has to share. And I know how important social media is, but for me, it, social media has produced a comparative society. We're always yes. comparing. And when you compare, guess what? You have a winner and a loser. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to prove ourselves. Am I good enough? And am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? I know I spent many years trying to prove myself um, through my work to my own family, right? I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, Lee, and they all work together. <laughs> I chose to go to a different country <laughs> upon graduating um, because I didn't want to be under the judgmental eye of my uh, parents and my siblings. And even, even after starting my own business 22 plus years ago, um, I realized, oh, I was still trying to prove myself to them. Am I worthy? Am I lovable? Am I deserving? And so that's why I'm so passionate about this work and overcoming, um, self-doubt and, and moving imposter syndrome out of your vocabulary, because, once you do that, once you just like, you know, this is just me and they're going to either like me or not like me. And those who do, those are my people. And those are the people that show up. And, and that's, that's what I love helping other people do find their tribe, whether it's blood related or not, that has them feel seen, heard and accepted just for who they are. Well, and I think, you know, I hear a lot of people, they'll reference imposter syndrome. And then when as a, it has different meanings to different people because it's personalized, it's what they're experiencing. But overall, what is the imposter syndrome and what triggers it? Sure. So imposter syndrome is that persistent belief that leaves you feeling like a fraud, that leaves you doubting yourself and your capabilities, despite all the accolades, all the raises, all the promotions, all the awards that maybe you've already won. And um, it's actually something that impacts um, 25 to 30% of high achievers. Um, Actually, seven out of 10 adults um, have said that they've, you know, 
dealt with imposter syndrome at some point in their life. And it was actually a term um, coined uh, in 1978 by psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes um, when they were doing some groundbreaking studies focusing on high-achieving women, right? Um, they called it imposter phenomenon. And you know, since then, we've realized imposter syndrome impacts both men and women. Um, and women in particular are trained by society, right? It's only been in the last 50 years, really, that women have come out from behind their aprons, so to speak, and um, become much more prominent in, in the world. Um, and so it's it's just astounding. There's a, a wonderful book that maybe you've heard of called The Confidence Code that was written by Caddy Caddy uh, Kay and Claire Shepherdson. They're international reporters, and they've interviewed some amazing women world leaders to find that they suffer from imposter syndrome and a lack of confidence, despite being literally at the top of their games worldwide, right? So I don't think anybody ever escapes it. Um, some people are far more impacted by it by others though, because of their, you know, the beliefs that they've carried with them since they were kids. Well, and I think the higher the bar gets raised, the more pressure that we put on ourselves and the more that that imposter syndrome kind of sneaks out at night. And even if we don't really experience it all the time, it visits it visits everyone. Yep, it sure does. And the and the key here is realizing that it may raise its little head, right? The trick is how quickly can you recover from that internal dialogue, those negative looping thoughts or who are you and what do you think you're doing? And they're not going to listen to you. All of that. Just I always like to say thank you for sharing, Amy. Now be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> you may leave. You're excused. Your excuse. Thank you for sharing. So, you know, what I see, too, a lot of times it's a reaction. We'll be working closely on a project and we we seem to be in our own head. We get criticized more than other people. And mm -hmm. how does that make us feel? Makes us feel like we're not good enough. Or we're working on that project and we don't ever really feel like that we were heard. You know, I had the answer to that. I could have solved that problem, but nobody listened to me. I mean, right. those are things we've I, I've experienced. I'm sure you have too. Oh, sure. You know, a, a most popular one is when you know you've got a room of of executives sitting around a, a conference room table, and the and a woman says, "I think we should do X, Y, Z," and and they're like, "Uh huh," and then Joe over here says the same thing said a little different they're like oh that's a brilliant idea joe that is something i hear happens a lot especially for women like their their ideas are kiboshed or pushed aside um because of who's sitting at the table with them um and not to not to generalize but it 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 happens far more than um people realize. Oh, and I think it's an excellent example. I've worked with uh, a small company and they said, you know, the problem here, our whole problem is communication. 
and people just can't talk. And I'm like, really? I've met with four or five of your people and they're very well at articulating what's on their mind. I don't think communication is the problem. I think the lack of understanding that we all process information differently is the problem. And I think, and I truly do. I think that's the the crux of a, a lot of communication issues is that it's all about how your brain processes that information. And a lot of times just tone of voice, a, a man's voice can be louder, bolder, bigger, and that draws attention. Not that I mm-hmm. intend to start screaming because I don't, but I do think that, you know, just how that brain processes the information all comes into play. Absolutely. One of the the things um, that I've discovered in my research, um, you, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Donna Hicks. Um, uh, her, one of her books is called Dignity, and she's an international conflict negotiator. And she's found in her in her work um, with negotiating between countries and warring tribes that the thing that causes most conflict is when our dignity is violated, our sense of value and self-worth is dismissed or diminished or destroyed, right? Um, and, And so with that, I was able to see like, oh, okay, so when our dignity gets violated as a child, we then make up things about ourselves with our child brain. And now we've created all these unconscious barriers to connection with the people around us to stay safe. Thank you, Amy. She's just trying to keep us safe, right? And so as adults, now we have these blinders of fear based on all the times in our life where our dignity was violated. And um, I've discovered this amazing um, tool that I use now with all my clients, and it's called Dignify, dignify dignify.com. And it's a it's a software platform that allows us to have those empowered conversations because by identifying your top five dignity um, traits, your emotional motivators, it's not a personality assessment. It's an emotional survey. It's driven by your gut reactions, right? What we were talking about earlier. And so when you can understand what are the gut drivers of the people you're working with, and what's important to them and where they naturally are coming from, then it helps reduce miscommunications and misinterpretations based on false assumptions and elevates um, greater collaboration and productivity because it gives, um, it gives folks on teams and, and family members, it's a great tool for families too, um, it gives folks a way to have conversations in a guided way it literally tells you what questions to ask so that you can see into the heart of another person because it's really based on your values what are your core values and what's important to you and when you understand that about the people around you then you see them differently you make less assumptions and you ask more curious questions well and i think your dignity the way that I've experienced it in my practice is a lot to do with self-respect. And that's all anybody wants is to mm-hmm. be respected. And yep. I, whether it's your sibling, your boss, 
doesn't matter who it is, that's the one thing that we all want is respect. And it creates some of the biggest barriers for people. You get stuck there. You feel like that, you know, I quit. I'm not going to have anything to do with you because you don't respect me. And right. You know, people don't quit companies. They quit people right? for that reason. Right. They don't feel valued. They don't see heard, feel heard. They don't feel respected. Thank you. That's very well said. That's all we want. And that's and, and we need that. But don't you agree that has to start from within? We have to respect ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Right. Because if you if you can't love yourself, if you can't respect yourself, then it's really uh, far more challenging to be able to do that with other people. I was I was talking with another client um, recently who um, is trying to, you know, put herself back out into the world after going through a divorce. And um, she, and asking her questions about um, what's, you know, what's important to her and what does it feel like? What's the love that she shares with her children? What does that feel like? And she couldn't, she couldn't answer it. She knew that she had this, unconditional love for her children but when I asked her how how does it feel when she applies that same love to herself she couldn't answer me she just couldn't because so many people especially in in uh in different cultures as well we weren't taught how to love ourselves necessarily right which I think is what's also exacerbating this lack of connection this lack of belonging that we're suffering from as a society. Well, you know, and I think we also weren't taught how to take care of ourselves. The one of my very first memories of understanding that is I had twins and I was in, living in Connecticut and my mom came up from Texas. The second day that she was there, I, I came downstairs and she was holding them both one under each arm like a football. And I'm like, Mom, she's like, you are a twin. I know how to do this. I'm like, OK, she said, aren't you going to the gym? I said, oh, no, of course not. You know, I said, this is just your second day here. And she said, you always go to the gym. You should learn this right now, Lee. If you don't take care of yourself, how are you going to take care of these two? I said, OK, I'm going to the gym. And I have never forgotten that because yeah. raising kids, I mean, it, the hardest thing, the hardest lesson is not is to, we all put our kids before we, before we do ourselves. So. Absolutely. It's, a, it's that, you know, got to put your own oxygen mask on first. There you go. So when we think about, we've talked a lot about the imposter syndrome and, and how to become unshakable and the, the different types of self-doubt that there is what do you, in today's world I think it's a new world I think it's a new playing field I think that you mentioned resilience and I think what all of our resilience has been knocked down a little bit man when everything's going my way I'm, and I'm on top of the world nothing can stop me but you know whenever when nothing's going my way and I don't seem to be able to to, you know, hit a home run on any of the playing fields, it just, it brings me down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, we start, we start to see, um, how do I want to say this? Um, 
if I'll put it this way, if if we decide I want to get a new blue car, suddenly you start seeing blue cars everywhere, right? It's your reticular activating system in play. And if the same thing applies with our negative thoughts. So if you have a series of negative things that happen in your life, right? Oh, you didn't you didn't get that new client. And then you stubbed your toe this morning. And then, um, you know, there was a hole in the bag of the groceries and they all fell on the floor, right? Whatever. It feels like you start this downward spiral. And that starts triggering those negative thoughts. Oh, my gosh. I have such bad luck. Oh, why me? Um, I can't believe this is happening to me. And, and the more you start to repeat those negative thoughts and beliefs to yourself, the more you start drawing to you more of that stuff, right? Um, I'm sure in your work, you look at the energetics of all of this, right? We're all energetic beings. We're made of energy and our emotions, um, they vibrate at different frequencies of energy, right? So negative emotions have a, a, a lower frequency, positive emotions have a higher frequency. And then as we focus on those negative thoughts, our frequency drops and we start attracting to us more of that negative energy. Absolutely. And so the trick is, is to catch yourself and flip the, you know, flip the script, change out the tape and find better thoughts to tell yourself so that you can start raising your vibration again and getting back to the place that you really want to be, which is shining and sharing your your brilliance and your expertise in a good way in the world. Well, and practicing positive psychology. It's a proven fact. Every day we have three three times more positive things happen to us than negative. But it's the way the brain works. What does the brain hold on to? Going into that fight, flight, or freeze, the brain holds on to the one negative. And you really, you know, it's always that guy that just cut you off, just pulled right out in front of you, or that lady that, that you know, pushed your cart aside. I mean, there's that's what those little things. And what I tell people is, is you have three things, three times more positive. Look for them. Find them. They're never big. I mean, they're never, oh, you're going to win the lotto. It's not, it's not like that. It's, wow, you got an email from somebody that complimented you on what a great job you did that was a surprise. Or somebody showed you an act of kindness that really didn't need to. It's those little things. And if, if you can every day look for the positive things that happen, you always find what you're looking for. I honestly believe that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's about, um, changing out that tape and uh, you know, in my work with clients, when they're, when they're caught in that spin, um, I tell them to create a win list, right? So every day, write down at least one win that you had. Maybe it was, Oh, I got this positive feedback from my boss or I closed this deal today, or I was healthy today, right? Or I had a roof over my head today, whatever that might be, but write it down. So when you get caught in those moments and your head starts to spin, 
go to your win list, your gratitude list and go, okay, now what else am I gratitude grateful for? Right. So, right. I have a gratitude journal. And so writing down three things that you're grateful for every day is a great way to start your day and end your day so that you can reframe things, reset your, your energy, and especially doing it right before you go to, um, right before you go to bed at night, um, it helps in input, uh, positive thoughts into your subconscious which enables you to sleep more deeply and um, allows your subconscious mind to do some heavy lifting for you while you sleep. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a couple I always say, don't forget your fight song. Everybody needs a fight song. So when you feel that you're down and you need inspiration or you need motivation to pull you up, listen to your and you can play that fight song in your head. You don't even need a radio, you know. We've got about three minutes left, Michelle, and I want to give you an opportunity to let our listeners know there's what available information that you've got out online and how they can learn more about you. And would you share some information with them? Sure, absolutely. So um, they can always find me at michellemolitor.com. That's Michelle with one L, M-O-L-I-T-O-R. Dot com And there I have a bunch of wonderful um, tools and resources for everybody in the uh, brain candy section. Um, you can grab a copy of my free ebook, What's Causing Your Imposter Syndrome, Six Triggers That Are Crushing Your Confidence. And uh, give that a read. You can also take the self-doubt quiz. And, you know, for those of uh, folks who are interested in maybe doing some rapid rewiring, I'm always happy to have a complimentary and confidential um, clarity call with folks to see um, what it is that they're struggling with and and how they might be able to rewire their brain um, for greater happiness and well-being. And, and the name of that website again? What was that? So just just my name, MichelleMolitor.com, and uh, there you'll be able to find all sorts of resources. You can also learn more about the How to Become Unshakable membership there on my website as well. So lots of great information. I'm a, I'm a content creator gone mad. I have so much goodies to share, and I love sharing them with folks. Well, thank you so much. You know, that's the beauty when you create something really fabulous. The beauty is in being able to share it and have other people take it and use it. And it sounds like that you do. You've got a tremendous amount out there. So thank you so much for being with us today. I I personally have learned so much from you. And I can't, I can't wait to have you back again and learn a little bit more. Um, well, thank you so much, Lee. It's been a joy talking with you. It's always fun to nerd out with another uh, fellow... <laughs> Brain Geek, it's one of my favorite things to do. So I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you. And, you know, I've never thought of nerding out, because, but that's a great way to put it. You know, that <laughs> that's a beautiful way to put it. And I look forward to the next time that we can talk again. Yes, ma'am.
Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 